What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because the dream is free, but the hustle is sold separately. It's kind of a weird quote. You can't buy hustle, right? In any case, special solo edition of the show for you this week. This is the seventh installment of what I've learned and applied from 49 awesome entrepreneurs. Actually ended up being 48 this time around, but no matter, this is an annual tradition on the show which just turned seven years old last month and recently passed 12 and a half million lifetime downloads. So whether this is your first time tuning in or your 392nd, thank you, for real. It means the world to me that you invest your time listening to this stuff. But as you know, listening is one thing and acting on what you hear is another. And as your host, I'm still in the game. So I'm trying to learn from my guests just like you and see what strategies of theirs I can turn around and apply to my own business. So in this episode, the game plan is to revisit the number one tips from the last year of guests and attempt to pull out the juiciest, most relevant words of wisdom that have been uttered and explain how I'm interpreting the advice, how you can implement it, and how I've been applying it myself. Now, I'm not going to read all 48 of these off one by one, but if you do want to see the full list, you can visit sidehustlenation.com slash tips seven. I've compiled all of them over there for you. And on that page, I'll link up the previous number one tips roundups as well, if you like this style of show. So instead, the game plan here is to pick and choose and highlight a few that I think are worth revisiting. And as I do that, I'm going to attempt to weave in some personal and business updates from the last 12 months. I've actually been thinking about this education phase a bit more lately and how you can certainly shortcut it with online training and online courses. But for the broad foundational stuff, it's hard to replicate getting in the reps. For example, you could take a course on how to start a podcast, and there are some great ones out there, but that's not going to be a replacement for getting behind the mic and doing it. The way I look at courses now is as accelerators rather than starters, if that makes sense. Like, I have something I'm working on, it's working, I've bootstrapped or self-educated as much as I can, and now I can accelerate that effort with courses or mentorship. One example that I've been studying recently is site speed. Super niche topic, always a source of frustration to go on to one of these testing sites like GT Metrics, test my site, get slow results, and even worse, a list of recommendations that are so technical, I had no idea how to actually implement. But recognizing this stuff is super important for user experience and for search rankings. I ended up buying Matt Giovannisi's Page Speed for Bloggers course this year and took a while to work through it, chipping away the milliseconds, basically, in every segment. It was a cool course. Now, overall, those efforts have made the site load, I think, 30, 35% faster on average, cut server requests on most pages by more than half. And if you believe the metrics that slow load times cost you money in terms of conversions and in terms of rankings, it really didn't take long to recoup the investment on that and then some. So I appreciated Kirk's tip to educate yourself and recognize that this is an ongoing effort. There's no graduation ceremony. There's no certificate of completion. There's always more to learn. And honestly, that's one thing that I love about this work. As I'm going through some of these tips, it's kind of weird to revisit these episodes from 2019. 2019 feels like forever ago. Like we've been in lockdown. February feels like forever ago. But one common theme that stood out was one of persistence. For example, Rachel Harrison Sund said, don't give up at the first sign of challenge. Keep going. Paul Miners echoed that. He said, keep going. Alex Goldberg said, be extremely persistent. Charlie Williams said, stay consistent. Terry Ijeoma said, keep trying. 
phrased a little bit differently. Kate Johnson said, have the long view in mind. And Chris Misterick put it this way. Don't quit. And I know that sounds simplistic, but it's going to be so incredibly enticing just to give up as soon as you face resistance. But I always encourage people, if you don't quit, you win. This is a tough one because we all want to see results from our efforts. It's just that those results can take a long time to see. There may be some survivorship bias here, but it's worth mentioning this was the quote number one tip from at least half a dozen guests. Keep going, keep learning, keep playing. In The Infinite Game, Simon Sinek qualifies infinite-minded leaders and infinite-minded companies as those who don't necessarily play to win, but rather to keep playing the game. The rules are fluid, the goals are open-ended, and it frees up a longer-term style of thinking than, how am I going to make my numbers this quarter? In that sense, it's an illustration that the journey is the destination, because at every destination, after every win, you've got to answer, well, what now? What next, right? There's something that I've been pondering lately, along with a line from uh, Ramit Sethi's I Will Teach You To Be Rich book, that said, if you've already won the game, why take additional risk? And he's talking about investing in bonds versus stocks at this point. But in my case, I feel like incredibly fortunate to have, quote, won the game. By that, I mean healthy family, roof over our head, a business that I love working on, financial security. But there's a nagging question of whether or not a good life is what holds people back from a great life. And this may be the curse of the modern era and social media and the comparison trap that almost inevitably comes with it. The grass is always greener, right? Could life be better? Probably. I mean, there's always room for improvement, right? But what risk or sacrifice is it going to take to get there? Is that worth it? I remember my conversation with Josh Elledge in episode 361, who is having incredible success at upmyinfluence.com. And I asked him, well, look at what you've achieved. Where do you want to go with this thing? Where do you want to go with this business? And Josh didn't hesitate. Seven figures a month, a million dollars a month. When people ask me where I want to go with the business, I never know what to say. I never have a good, clear answer like that. Sure, I'd like to serve more people. Sure, I'd like to discover awesome new side hustles. Honestly, learning about all the creative stuff you're doing, you, the listener, is probably the most exciting part of this gig. But I have no real need or necessarily the drive to take the business to seven figures a month. So this was maybe a long-winded way to share that the theme of persistence looks different for different people. And I believe persistence actually has two parts. There's the actual running of the race, like the physical act of doing your work, doing your labor, putting one foot in front of the other to continue the running metaphor. But the other important piece, maybe even the more important piece, is the direction you're running. What are you running towards? Or what are you running away from? I think both can work, and maybe one is more motivating than the other. But persistence is also about keeping a pace that you can sustain at something you enjoy doing, something that gives you energy instead of sucking it away, and that moves you towards something important, towards something meaningful to you. And I want to contrast the point about persistence with another number one tip that stood out to me, and this one came from Chris Gillibo. I think we're doing all kinds of stuff that we don't need to be doing. And if you're doing something that is stressing you out or something that's not working, or if you've tried a hustle idea and you're not seeing the, the success that you want or the traction you want, then stop. Stop doing it and choose something else because life is short. I didn't interpret this as a call to stop everything you're doing and just be a lump. 
but I did take it as a call to reevaluate what you're doing on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis and ask if those activities are really serving you and really bringing you joy. Talked about auditing your time before on the show to find out where your hours are really going. And if you've never done that exercise, I encourage you to do it, even just for a week or two. And you might find you have some opportunity to trim some activities that aren't providing a great return, either monetarily or in terms of your personal satisfaction. Remember, every hour that you spend is a spending. It's an investment, right? So it's got to it's got to provide something to you in return for that. One shift over here in the last few months has been a dramatic drop in the number of shopping trips that we've made. Like we haven't been to Target or Costco in months. It's probably been a month and a half since our last trip to Trader Joe's, where these used to be weekly outings. They'd burn gas, they'd burn time, and now we're leaning heavily on getting stuff delivered. It might cost a little bit more in some cases, not always, and actually there's less impulse buying. So that's one thing we've stopped doing recently that has actually added time back to our schedules. One example on the business front was shutting off my Alexa skill, the money-making minute at the end of last year. It was a fun little side project that perhaps with a little more love and attention could have grown into a more serious channel for me, but I had grown to dread the work related to it. Maybe dread is too strong a word, but I didn't look forward to it. I wasn't excited about it. And to me, that's a sign it's time to move on. Focus your limited energy on something you are more excited about and what's driving results. Over the years, I've quit TV shows and other extracurricular activities in the same way. If it doesn't serve you, why are you doing it? You only have so many hours in the week, and like Chris said, life is short. Along the same lines, Nate Hirsch's number one tip was to prioritize, and Melissa Fassel Dunn in episode 378 said, identify your top three priorities every day. And there's nothing like shifting from four days a week of work, in my case, to two days, and then maybe some toddler overlap nap times, if you're lucky, to really force you to prioritize. For me, that's largely been the podcast, the show must go on, SEO, and affiliate marketing. And for that reason, I've uh, directed a lot of attention in those areas, trying to improve rankings and monetization on some high-priority pages. And those results were paying off until the site got knocked back a little bit by an algorithm update in May. If you want to get really nerdy for a minute, let's dive into some SEO stuff. But here's what that has looked like in practice. Most posts for me start out with an idea prompt, either from something that I came up with in in my head that I wanted to write about, or a keyword research through software hrefs is what I'm using these days. And I keep a file on my desktop called content mapping. And that includes all the potential keyword prompts that I've come up with. Some of these just come from suggested search, like make money spacebar and see what pops up on Google, right? Like whatever seed keyword and then using the auto suggest. But in that content mapping file, I'm including the estimated search volume and keyword difficulty. Keyword difficulty is a metric of how hard is it going to be to get your content on the first page of Google, essentially. And I found keywords that have a minimum of a thousand searches a month and a KD score, a keyword difficulty score under 20 have been good ones for me to target at this age. And the site is the site hustle nation domain is well aged and a pretty authoritative domain. So I'm able to tackle some of these that a newer domain, you might have to start with keyword difficulty under 10, you know, just to have a fighting chance. From there, I try and figure out if this is something that I want to write myself or if it's something that I want to hire out. Both cases, the next step after that is to come up with an outline. This is a process of looking through what is already ranking well in Google, seeing what I like and don't like about those posts, 
how can we be unique and different? What else can we bring to the table? And including that in the outline and then either drafting it up myself or hiring a writer to do that. And then once it's published, I will try and add some internal links. And this has been pretty effective in the last 12 months, usually trying to add five to 10 internal links, going back through the archives from relevant related posts and saying, hey, this is something else. If you're interested in this topic, you might have checked check out this new thing that we published. And the intent there is to say, if people land on those old posts, you can say, hey, here's something new on a similar topic, but also to show Google, like, this isn't just an orphaned piece of content. Like, my own site thinks this is worth linking to, which may or may not send some signal, right? But in following this process, I think my record was seven weeks from hitting publish to that article ranking number one in Google. That was really cool. It feels a little bit like alchemy at this point, like creating something out of nothing. And it's just, it's ones and zeros, like it's text on a page. And all of a sudden that turns into eyeballs and traffic and revenue and email signups and affiliate commissions. And that is really cool. That's exciting for me. The other thing that I've been working on more and more lately is republishing pillar content. My game plan used to be to hit publish on something and that was it. And it just lives out there and treating the blog more like a journal shifted a little bit to treating the blog more as like a living encyclopedia. And that has meant revisiting these high priority or pillar pieces of content, like my list of side hustle ideas, and making sure that's up to date, making sure that's rearranged, making sure that's edited and republished so that it stays relevant both in the eyes of readers, but of course in the eyes of Google as well. Also on the SEO front, I'm actually testing shortening word count for some articles. Word count used to rule the day in that longer posts tended to be viewed as more authoritative and tended to rank really well. Today, I'm starting to see that shift a little bit. You still need to cover the topic in depth to rank, but you don't necessarily need to write 15,000 words. If the rest of the competitors on page one are at 3,000, for example, it's like that's over and above and maybe not necessarily better. So I'm testing a few things, including deleting word count, which I did on my list of ways to make extra money. I think it had grown to over 11,000 words, which was probably too long, especially relative to what else was ranking. So I think I knocked it back to around 8,000 words in its latest iteration. And on the word count front, the other thing that I'm testing, which I don't have solid results on this yet, is removing certain comments on those posts in an effort to reduce the word count. So some posts, if I include the comments, had swollen to over 25,000 words, which is about as long as my entire Work Smarter book, which is on Amazon, that might be perceived as too much to chew on in the search results. It makes for a really big page. So I'm testing moving some of the comments kind of back into moderation. Like I didn't delete, 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 delete very many, but kind of a unapproved for a minute, see what happens to see if that reduced word count shakes up the rankings at all. And I actually considered turning off comments altogether. There was a recent post on niche pursuits talked about why uh, Spencer turned his off, but I'm glad I didn't. I think it's important that readers and listeners still have a voice. Like there's, there can be a little bit of back and forth and, and even readers can interact with other readers. So I think that stuff is important and it adds more long tail search intent keywords and stuff to your, to your articles. But Nate's advice and Melissa's advice to prioritize is one reason they haven't devoted a ton of time yet to YouTube this year, even though I'm still super excited about YouTube as a new content frontier for me. But with the limited hours, I focused on the blog and podcast instead. I'm also trying to figure out a better quote studio setup. The Clawfus recording studio 
where I'm recording this. It's okay for the podcast, maybe not the best for video. I don't know. That's probably just an excuse. <laughs> but there's an important note here is the opportunity that I see on YouTube is still going to be there next month, next year. It's not like there's a finite window or a deadline for me to tackle this, this project or really any other project. And I want to add here that there's an ongoing internal struggle surrounding prioritization. All of the projects and experiments I want to do, which is getting pretty big, that list is getting pretty big versus the limited time to do them. And combine that with the realization that the kids are never going to be this age again. They're two and four. So wouldn't it be my best investment of time to just spend as much time with them as possible? Sheltering in place this spring has made me question sending them to preschool four days a week, which we did for the last couple of years before this all happened. Like for, for real, the, the socialization is, is important to them. I agree with that 100%. But did they really need four days of it? Was the work that I was doing before so much more important than hanging out with them? I know. So we're, we're dealing with some really existential crises over here. I think that comes with the territory of, of cabin fever here. Cannot wait to travel again. One thing that has helped me with those projects not getting done, like this anxiety of projects not getting done, is punting them off my paper to-do list, which I keep visible on my desk and normally use for the day's highest priority tasks. So instead of keeping it on my desk, I've been pushing those off into Asana. And this kind of external brain allows me to capture the ideas and experiments and projects as I think of them, but get them out of sight, out of sight for right now. That's been really helpful to not have them staring me in the face all day as a reminder of all the things I'm not doing, of all the things I'm not getting done. So I've also started to use Asana for an editorial calendar, which is my first time ever having one of those for written content. I don't always stick to it, but it is helpful to have a visual calendar list of what writing needs to happen, what stage of the process it's in, what needs to be updated and republished. Really helpful for that. What I'm seeing so far, the downside about punting the bigger projects to a later date is what tends to get done instead is the shorter term stuff, like the daily maintenance tasks, the stuff that can get done in a day, or at least within a couple hours of more focused work. To combat that, the next stage for me is going into each of those projects in Asana and then outlining the steps that need to get done. Like, one through 15, one through 20, like what's it going to take to take this from idea to reality and then moving those mini steps onto the daily priority list. And that's kind of the way I foresee being able to chip away and make progress on these larger projects. So that's the prioritization piece, always relevant, but also good to hear reminders that you don't have to do all the things. We have an art print in our living room to remind ourselves this, it says, quote, everything changed the day he figured out there was exactly enough time for the important things in his life, end quote. And that brings me to the next number one tip that stood out. This advice from Sa'el from simplyinsurance.com and episode 359 of the Side Hustle Show. If you don't spend an hour a day on your own dream, you should be ashamed of yourself. An hour a day is roughly 4% of your overall hours. You still got 96% of your time left. And I know there are days when I feel like I don't even have that 4% of breathing room. So recognize that this is a sliding scale. But the sentiment here is what's important. Choose yourself and carve out the time to make it happen, whatever that dream is. It doesn't have to be business-related either. It could be reading. It could be fitness. It could be a hobby. Just a couple examples. Personally, I was telling a friend of ours about a couple books I read lately If you're curious, one was called Lifespan. It was all about the science of longevity. 
and the other was Super Pumped, the story of Uber. Both were really interesting, though I would probably look for the summary version of Lifespan because it gets really, really deep into the microbiology behind this stuff. But my friend was like, dude, when do you have time to read? Because he's in a similar situation, working from home, a couple young kids. And my answer was that it basically falls into gaps in the day or time that it would have otherwise been spent looking at my phone, like waiting for the kids to fall asleep or at bedtime. When the kids were younger, I was a master multitasker where I could strap the little guy into the ergo. He could take a nap. I could go for a walk and listen to a podcast. I would get like some exercise, some fresh air. Listening to the podcast would be me vetting a future guest, a potential guest for the show. It could be me putting down some ideas into a notes app. It could be like drafting a intro outro for the show or just otherwise to clear my head. But I thought Saw's call to proactively spend an hour a day on your own dream, even if your other 23 hours are reactive, was a really powerful one. We'd all love to be in control of our calendars all day, every day, but that's probably not realistic unless you're like crazy loaded and somehow have no responsibilities. This is a sliding scale. And the way, maybe the only way to improve your ratio of the time you own versus the time others own is to carve out a little time every day, every week and work toward that. I've talked about this on a few other shows lately, but I'm not sure if I've mentioned it here, the concept of the time leveraged pie chart. So how this works is imagine a pie chart that represents your income. And we all start out trading time for money, meaning that entire pie chart is one color. The whole pie is active income. Then maybe you add a little bit of savings account interest or some dividend paying stocks. And you have like this tiny sliver of passive income or time leveraged income. And hopefully over time, that passive piece of the pie grows and grows until you retire. And that has to be by definition, the full piece of your income because you stopped working. But if the ultimate goal is that time freedom, you've got to figure out a way, and maybe if you want to accelerate that timeline, you got to figure out a way to either reduce your expenses so you don't have to spend so much time working, or earn more from the hours you do work, or tackle it from both sides, or build some income streams that don't directly rely on your time. I've got a few examples of these at sidehustlenation.com slash passive income, but if you follow Saw's hour-a-day advice... I promise you're going to start to see the compound effect of your efforts. An hour here, an hour there, it's not going to make much difference. But it's the consistent forward progress that starts to get the flywheel spinning in your favor. And on top of that, it reinforces the identity habit that you're the type of person who spends their time with intention. Remember Dustin Heiner's comment in episode 387, Dustin retired early from his real estate investments. Even though the vast majority of his income when he was starting out, he had like two properties, came from his day job, he flipped the switch in his head and started calling himself a real estate investor first and a salaried employee second. And in episode 360, Larry McGee put it this way, if you want to better your life, you have to do it yourself. In episode 339, Rob Cubbin left us with this. My tip for anyone who watches Nick's show or listens to Nick's show or has anything to do with Nick, is to not go for money. Go for the love and the enjoyment of what you're doing, and the money will come. Now, taken at face value sounds a little bit fluffy, right? Obviously, you've got to figure out a way to make money and pay the bills, but the way I interpret Rob's advice is as taking on projects that you're genuinely interested in. That doesn't necessarily mean trying to build a business around your passion, but it means exploring different avenues 
and try to find what you enjoy doing. Remember how to find work that doesn't feel like work. Some people asked me recently why I started the show and why I'm still doing it seven years later. And the answer is pretty much the same. I was in 2013 and still am today genuinely curious and excited about sharing creative entrepreneurial success stories and trying to reverse engineer those, peel them back in such a way that other people could apply the ideas and strategy. And I can see this on the blogging front as well. Yes, I've become more intentional about SEO in the last two and a half years, but some of the most interesting accidental SEO wins were the articles that I wrote purely out of my own curiosity. Like way back in the day, I would see these ads for restaurant.com, like, hey, get a $25 gift card for 10 bucks. So I was curious to figure out how it worked. Free food is always a hot topic for me. So I dug up as much as I could. I wrote the post on how restaurant.com works, and it's been driving traffic for years. I remember I was at a softball game, and you know, one of my teammates, he's like, hey, I was Googling, how does restaurant.com work the other day? And you know what I found? I found nickloper.com. So that was an early example of trying to deconstruct a business, write helpful content, and Google ended up rewarding that. Doesn't make a ton of money, but it was maybe one of these posts that got me started down this path. And there are articles today on my content calendar that I can't wait to write. There are pitches that I get that I can't wait to learn more about. Episodes I can't wait to record. Taking Rob's advice to heart because it doesn't feel like work. I recently wrote about how to make money in college, which was a keyword research-based title, you know, 2,400 searches a month or something like that. But for me, it was a ton of fun reminiscing about all the ways that I made money in college. This may be anecdotal, kind of as an aside, but with the case of the restaurant.com post and some of the other accidental SEO wins, it seems easier to rank content that isn't heavily monetized with affiliate links. Now, whether that's less competitive or people are more willing to link to it, I'm not sure, but it's almost like trying to write the killer resource first without worrying about monetization. That way you can gain traffic, maybe some backlinks, and then you're figuring out a way to make money from it with display ads, with affiliate links. So I might play around with that a little bit more this year. That seems there may be a trend there. The other way that I interpret Rob's advice is to give yourself permission to experiment because those experiments are genuinely fun to try out. You've heard it this year on the show a few times. Could I record in a single take? We did this a couple weeks ago with Joshua Lysak and earlier in the year with Chris Gillibo and Dave Chesson. And sure, I had an established recording process, but that doesn't mean there isn't a better, faster way to get it done. Another recent experiment is moving away from the, the PDF file as the primary lead magnet on the site, the email opt-in offer, which for years and years has been the five fastest ways to make more money. It's been a quote ebook since day one, which I feel like has lost a little bit of its cache. Ooh, a PDF. Ooh, an ebook. It has been downloaded tens of thousands of times. It's an effective lead magnet. But with more and more traffic on mobile, almost 62%, according to Google Analytics, it didn't make sense to have something that required a lot of pinching and zooming and I don't know. So I ended up using Beaver Builder to create a private page on the site that's mobile responsive and that hopefully more people will engage with than the old PDF file. Because if people aren't consuming that content, like it's not helping them anyway. And from a maintenance standpoint, I hope think it's going to be easier to keep it updated as well. Now, this last bit of advice, which comes from John Jonas in episode 343, is one 
that I admittedly struggle with. So what I found over the years is the thing that separates successful entrepreneurs from those that are not is the willingness to think through hard things because business is hard. It's not just tell me what to do and I'll do it. That's not how you run a business. You have to be willing to think through problems and create solutions. And and that's where the hard work is. The hard work isn't in, oh, I work 80 hours a week. The hard work is in being willing to think effectively and create solutions. Did you see the article that chess grandmasters can burn up to 6,000 calories a day during a tournament? Using all that concentrated brain power is legitimately hard work. And maybe you're familiar with Warren Buffett famously spending hours a day reading and thinking. Here's his quote. Quote, I insist on a lot of time being spent almost every day to just sit and think. That is very uncommon in American business. I read and think. So I do more reading and thinking and make less impulse decisions than most people in business. End quote. In contrast, I often find myself caught up in day-to-day responsibilities and tasks especially during lockdown time, without putting a lot of priority to thinking through hard things. There's always something more pressing, more concrete to do than just sitting there and thinking. My quarterly progress reports help a bit, kind of a recap of here's everything that I worked on, here's what worked, what didn't. My progress journal helps a little bit, but I'm curious, if you have a dedicated process or routine to carve out thinking time, that could either be to map out the future direction of your life, of your business, or to map out specific projects and strategies, I've got to imagine that leads to better or at least more intentional or strategic decision-making, but it's just something I have a hard time with. Definitely let me know if you have any resources that you found helpful on that front, or if it's just a matter of locking yourself away from distractions to be left alone with your thoughts. Curious what's working for you there. So to recap in this episode, we have Educate Yourself keep going, this practice of persistence. And I'll add to that, keep going on something that excites you and that moves you towards something you care about. Practice prioritization, Saw's tip to spend an hour a day on your own dream. Rob's advice to experiment and keep it fun and think through hard things. You can find all 48 tips at sidehustlenation.com slash tips seven. What do you think? Do you have a favorite moment, story, soundbite from the last year on the show, let me know in the comments or hit me up on uh, Twitter, hit me up on Instagram. I'm at Loper on both of those platforms. And one quick favor to ask, if you like what you've been hearing on the Side Hustle Show, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player app of choice. For me, that's Overcast. You can upvote or recommend your favorite episodes by hitting the little star button in the app. You'll also find the show in Spotify, CastBox, Podcast Addict, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, it's everywhere. We've got some good stuff coming up, including an all-new Side Hustle Showdown series starting next month, a series of friendly debate-style shows tackling a bunch of popular side hustle questions. You won't want to miss it. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on. As a Side Hustle Show listener, I know you're driven. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. But I also know you can end up hustling and driving yourself into exhaustion, overwhelm, and even burnout if you don't stay anchored to why 
you're doing it. That's why I want to recommend another podcast that will massively support your side hustle. It's called What Drives You with host Kevin Miller. Kevin's a former pro athlete. He's a lifelong entrepreneur who started 19 different businesses. He's a father of nine kids, an author, and a mountain adventurer as well. He knows both the glory and the dark side of drive and has devoted his life to helping people who want to drive further, faster, but also enjoy the ride every single day. He brings on today's most influential people in personal and business development to see what drives them and get their guidance on the key ingredients that power our own drive. If you want to fully harness your drive and find peace and fulfillment in the process, go find What Drives You with Kevin Miller wherever you listen to podcasts.